Uh, we're in First Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Uh, we're right now, we're in the middle of a three-week series on living on mission. Last week, Todd uh, took us to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where we saw what it means to live on mission. And today, we're, we're going to talk about why you should live on mission, the why, the motivation. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 if you don't know, the book of Peter is written. It's a letter written from the apostle Peter. He's one of the 12 disciples. It's written to an early Christian church. Uh, not all that different from this church, except for it's 2,000 years ago, and it's in the Middle East. And, um, but they were being shunned for their faith. They were being persecuted. Um, they were being mocked, insulted, because they had put their faith in Christ, which, if you're a Christian long enough, will happen to you. Um, so this is God's word for you, God's people. Let's, let's read this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. On the day of visitation. This is God's word. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you. We thank you, especially this morning, for your word. You did not leave us on the earth to wander without guidance or without hope, but you gave us your word. So we praise you for that. Lord, I pray this morning, uh, as I speak, that you would remove distraction, both from my heart and their hearts. I pray that you would give us a vision for who you made us to be. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here and push the truth into our hearts. And I pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, most of you have probably seen the movie Elf. Uh, If you haven't seen it, you should probably watch it. Next Christmas, you can watch that. Uh, It's played uh, in the movie, Will Ferrell plays this character, Buddy the Elf. And if you don't know, if you haven't seen it, Will Ferrell, when he's a baby, he's an orphan, and he climbs into Santa's uh, bag of presents, and he's taken to the North Pole. Okay, it's a fictional story, right? So he's taken to the North Pole. And there he's raised, though he's a human, he's raised amongst elves. Now, being a human with elves, he grows twice as fast And he's just head and shoulders above everybody else. He's constantly hitting his head on ceilings and doorways. Um, He has to sleep sideways across two elf beds, even as a teenager. Um, He's the only baritone in the elf choir. That's fun. Uh, And what's really sad for Buddy is that he's the slowest elf on the, the toy assembly line. He's so slow, in fact, that all the other elves have to chip in to to catch up, uh, to do his work for him. 
and eventually he gets sent to quality control because he's just not, he's not built to make toys. See, Buddy was a man, and he thought he was designed to be a toy-making elf. He thought he was like all the other elves. But as long as he was a human, and he thought he was a toy-making elf, he was going to be uncomfortable and, frankly, miserable trying to be something that he was never designed to be. Now, it's funny watching six-foot-three Will Ferrell pretend to be an elf, Uh, But what's less funny is when we, as Christians, try to be something we're never meant to be. And we often get confused about what we're made for. We get sucked into the cultural current, and we start to think and live as if we're here by accident. As if it's just a chance, by chance that we exist. Evolutionary theory slips into our thinking, and we start to live as if we're an accident floating through space without any clear goal except perhaps maybe just to please ourselves. In our passage today, Peter, the Apostle Peter, is speaking to this very problem. And he's refocusing us as Christians on what we were made for and what we have been saved for, what God redeemed us for. So as we look at our passage, we're going to be asking this question, why should we live on mission? And my answer for you this morning from this passage is simple. It's because God made you to live on mission. So let's dive in. Let's let's look. You see there uh, in your bulletin, there's an outline on the last page. There's five points. Hopefully it won't take me It's not going to take me five times as long or whatever. Usually there's three points. Don't worry about that. Um, Christian, what are you made for? Look at point one. You are made for more than yourself. Look at verse nine there. Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Here, Peter is speaking in Old Testament language, language that we would use to uh, describe the nation of Israel. He says, you're a priesthood, you're a nation, uh, you're a race. And he applies it to us, the New Testament church, the church after Christ. A church that's made up not just of Jews or Israelites, but of Gentiles and people from all nations, that's probably almost all of us, unless you're Jewish, that's, we're all Gentiles. And yet, we are part of God's people. By doing this, Peter is saying, just as the people of Israel were handpicked to be God's people, so the church is the new Israel. Handpicked from every tribe, tongue, and nation to be God's people. Not an accident. Christian, you have been selected by God, for God, for a relationship with God, and to be owned by God. Do you see that? He says, a people for his own possession. He possesses us. He owns us. We are his. We're no accident. Have you ever found uh, money lying on the ground? If you, if you ever do, it's a good day, right? He's like, free money. I remember one time in high school, I was walking, and I looked down, and there's 60, I picked it up, 
a bundle of money. 62, that's a lot to find. Uh, and I was excited. Now, what do you do when you find, you pick it up, you look around, okay, did anyone drop this? No one's claiming it. Okay, guess what? Can you spend that money however you want? Yeah, go spend it, it's yours. All right, now let's go back a day. Let's say that that money wasn't there by accident. Let's say my friend had told me, hey, Brandon, I'm going to leave $62 for you under a rock by E-Hall. I want you to get it. I want you to give it to our teacher for the field trip. Now, what if I find that money and I say, oh, I spend this however I want. I found it under the rock. It's mine. No, I'm not free to spend that money. That money is earmarked for a specific purpose. And you, as Christians, have been earmarked by God to exalt and to enjoy him. We, each of us as Christians, have been earmarked for that mission. So do not, please do not live life on accident. Do not live life as if someone just dropped you accidentally. Like we have a mission. God has given us a mission. And it starts with living not just for ourselves, but for God. Point two, what else are you made for? Christian, you are made for more than complaining. Look at verse, uh, the second half of verse 9 there. He says, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here we see he's, okay, we, we just established we're made for God, for a relationship with him, but we're made for more than just being with God. We're actually made to proclaim him. So to say that another way, God did not just make you to sip coffee and read your Bible. Uh, you should do that. That's a great way to get to know God better. But that's not all that you should do. He has made us to proclaim him. And to proclaim what? Specifically, it says, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The reality is everyone proclaims something. Everyone is pushing some sort of agenda. I recently heard that Cane Bay has been rebranded by some as Complain Bay. Maybe you've heard this before. Um, And some of you aren't even from Cane Bay, but this is the neighborhood we live in, Cane Bay. And some people now call it Complain Bay because there's so much complaining that happens here. Of course, Cane Bay has its problems, but the reality is we live in one of the most affluent, prosperous communities in the history of the world. We have nice roads, we have pathways connecting, we have playgrounds all over the place, pools, uh, nice grass, nice new homes. We have a YMCA. We're, We're blessed in Cane Bay. We really are. And yet, we humans, we always find something to complain about. And that's because everyone proclaims something, even if it's just, I'm deeply discontent. Okay, that's what we're proclaiming when we complain. I am deeply discontent. But Christians, you are not made to complain. That's not what God gave us a mouth for. You are made to proclaim what God has done in your life. 
So here's just one really basic strategy for living on mission as we go through this series. Next time you're tempted to complain, and you will be, I complain, so I'm, I'm preaching to myself, stop complaining and think about and talk about ways that God has been good to you. There's always, there will always be so many things to complain about, but let's, let's talk about the way God has taken us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And just talk about this all the time like a broken record. And you may think, yeah, but that's going to be annoying. My friends and neighbors, that, that's going to be, they're not going to like me. Well, we, we're comfortable making people uncomfortable. We, we already annoy people by complaining. We might as well annoy them with proclaiming the truth of Christ. And ultimately, we are made our mouths. God gave us our mouths. When you look in the mirror and you see your mouth, you should think, what is that for? Okay, it's eat, drink, all those things. But to proclaim, to exalt God. Christian, what are you made for? Point three. You're made for more than loneliness. Uh, Look at verse 10, if you have it there in your bulletin. Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter's writing to these Christians who, many of whom used to be pagan idol worshipers, reminding them, and he's reminding us, look, do not forget where you came from. Do not forget that you used to be like orphans, without a place to belong, without a family, without a people without a nation. There was no camaraderie. God saved us. He made us and then he redeemed us so that we could belong in his family. But not just to belong, but to stand shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, together as a a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a family of believers all pressing on toward the same common goal, all on mission together. Theologically, this is called the church militant. Have you heard that term? There's the church militant. That's all the saints that are alive on earth today. And there's the church triumphant. Those are the people that have already gone to be with the Lord. Um, We are known as the church militant. We are God's people on mission together. We often forget this. And when we forget this, we each pursue our own little individual missions. And what that leads to is loneliness. It leads us to loneliness. A former Marine wrote an article uh, called Sometimes I Miss War. That's a weird article. War is not fun. We know that. But he writes this article, Sometimes I Miss War. And this is what he says. I hated war, but strangely enough, I loved it too. I'd find myself wishing I were back overseas while driving alone or in the midst of a crowded party. You see, things were simpler. People understood me. I had deep relationships. Granted, there was no running water and I had to go to the bathroom in a barrel. 
But the laughter was real, the friends were real, and the experience was real. This guy, his name is Benjamin Sledge. He didn't miss war because he was a violent man. He didn't miss war because he doesn't like running water or he likes going to the bathroom in a barrel. He missed war because he had a brotherhood there. Because he was standing shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm with other men who were going towards the same goal. This is what we're made for as Christians. We are made for mission. And there's a, there's a loneliness epidemic in our country. Obviously, COVID contributed to that, and it's only gotten worse. But it's not just in the secular world. It's in the churches, too. We're lonely. And part of the reason we're lonely is because we each pursue our own little missions. Just picture it. Each, each one of us, every morning, we get up, we put on our own uniform. And we take off on our own individual mission. I'm going to make a name for myself. I want to secure retirement. Whatever it is, it, it could be any mission. But the point is, we're an army of one. When God designed us never to be an army of one, but to be with our brothers and sisters on mission. So we're lonely. <clears throat> we are made. We are made to be in the trenches together not by ourselves. So what, what might that look like, practically speaking, to, to live this out as a church? Well, it might look like something as simple as when you are sipping coffee and reading your Bible and you come to a passage and you don't understand it, to go to a brother or sister and say, hey, you've been a Christian longer than me. You know the Bible better than me. How do I make sense of this? What does this mean? T- tell me. I want to draw near to God with you. It may look like saying, I'm struggling with doubt. Going to your brother or sister and saying, have, have you ever struggled with this? Or maybe you've told me you struggle with this. How, what do I do? Or maybe it looks like uh, calling a brother up and saying, hey, I really want to reach out to my neighbor, but I don't know what to do. Like, Would you come over so we could have a barbecue so I have an excuse to invite him over? Just things like that. We're, we're in this together. We're meant to be in this together. It's going to be uncomfortable, like war. War is uncomfortable. But we're called to do it together. Let's keep going. Point four. Christian, what are you made for? You're made for more than fitting in. Look at verse 11 there. Peter starts verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles... Okay, let's pause there. Peter's reminding us and, and them that we're exiles and sojourners in this life. Uh, kids, you probably don't use that word. What does sojourners, sojourners mean? You probably don't know. It means, like exiles, exiles and sojourners, it means uh, that you're far away from home. You're not in your home country. You are in a foreign land, in a far-off country. And this is true for us as Christians. Uh, This means, really practically, that you might be an American citizen as a Christian, but your true citizenship, what's more true about you is that you're a citizen of heaven. 
It means that Cane Bay is not your ultimate home. You might have a nice house here, but this is not your ultimate home. It means that even more practically speaking, it means if you've got a sign in your house that says home sweet home, you could erase that and you could, you could say not yet home or this is not my home. Wouldn't that be weird? That would be weird to do. Yeah, people would look at you funny. Uh, your friends will ask you, by the way, if you do that. So it's not my home. And you can tell them. And they'll think you're weird. Uh, but you'll survive. And it's true. This is not your home if you're a Christian. Um, you were just passing through. And you, you know, I think we all know, that one of the biggest reasons we do not live on mission is that we're, we really think that we should fit in. We feel. It's peer pressure, right? We're, we're still kids. Uh, It was stronger in middle school, but we still feel peer pressure today. So we think we should feel comfortable with the local customs. But we should expect, as Christians, to feel uncomfortable. We should expect to be considered strange. We should not expect to fit in. Uh, When I was nine, I visited a country in the Middle East, and you can picture me, I was a little red-headed nine-year-old. I had pasty white skin and freckles, um, and I was going to a Middle Eastern country that was 99.9999% Muslim in Middle Eastern type of hair, skin, eyes. So there I was walking the streets and everywhere I went, you know, I'm wearing jeans and a t-shirt. They've all got their traditional Muslim clothes on. Everywhere I went, people would stop and they would look at me. And they would be like, what in the world? It was like, tap on their, have you, look, there's a little red-headed boy. You ever seen something like that? <clears throat> but it didn't bother me. Honestly, I kind of felt special. Um, because I knew, I knew what I was going into. I knew I wasn't going to fit in there. I didn't expect to fit in with the Muslim people and their Muslim clothes, I I knew that I was going to stick out like a sore thumb, and I did. Honestly, it was kind of fun. Christians, you you are made to fit in, but not here. Uh, you're, You're not made to fit in in this world. You're made to fit in with God's family, and ultimately not until heaven when we're all made pure. Until then, you can just expect every morning when you wake up that you're going to feel, when you go off to work, you go to school, driving on the highway, you're not going to fit in. This will free you up to live on mission. So look at point five there. Again, Christian, what are you made for? You're made for more than fleshly desires. Uh, Look again at verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Peter is warning us to resist our sinful desires. 
why. Why does he tell us to resist? He says, <clears throat> which wage war against your soul? Those sinful desires, though they might feel good, they will be strong temptations. Peter tells us they're actually our enemy. We have an enemy living within us. They may sound like your friends, but they're actually waging war against your, your soul, promising temporary pleasures in exchange for your eternal soul. And often that enemy will whisper and they will tell you that that enemy, your flesh will say, you are made. They'll ask you the same question. What are you made for? You are made to live for these cravings. You're made for this. Your flesh will whisper that to you. You are made for this. And you need to be able to say with Peter, no, I am not. I am not made for simply satisfying my fleshly desires. I'm made for more than that. We are made for others. We are made for others' sake, to serve others. Look at verse 12. He says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify, glorify God on the day of visitation. So what's Peter saying there? He's saying, okay, do good deeds. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. He's saying uh, your conduct among non-Christians. So this is about living on mission, living out in the world. Keep it honorable. But why? For your own sake? No, not for your own sake. In fact, when you do good deeds among the non-Christians, guess what? They're going to speak evil against you. Accusations will come. But that's not what this is about. He tells us that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do good deeds out in the world for the sake of others. So that when Jesus returns, they will have put their faith in him. And then when he returns, they will glorify him as Lord and Savior. I'd encourage you... um, by way of application, to take an audit of your life uh, by asking this question. Whatever it is, when you're, you're driving to work, you're taking your kids to school, you're getting up in the morning, you're pouring a cot, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Just ask yourself this question. Am I doing this for my own benefit or for the benefit of others? Okay, that's a scary question to ask because most of the time what you'll find is you're probably doing it for your own benefit. And even worse than that, maybe just for your own flesh, your own sinful desires. But we follow a Lord as Jesus is our Savior and our King who did nothing for his own benefit. Everything that he did when he woke up in the morning was for us. And we are called to live like him. Think about it. 
Why did the living God become a man born into the womb of a virgin teenager? Was it for himself? Did he do that for himself? Step down out of heaven? No, he did it for you. Why did he live in, 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 impov- in poverty? He's born in a manger. You do that for himself. He's the only one who ever had a choice of where he would be born, when he would be born, who would his mom be. He's the only one who had that choice. And he chose to suffer. Not for himself, but for you. Jesus was mocked. Again, he's, he's God in the flesh. If there was anyone who had a choice... To, not, to, to get to fit in, if there was someone who could fit in, it would be Christ. The deity of God dwelled in this man. If anyone could fit in, it would be him. But he didn't fit in. And he didn't fit in for you. He was mocked. He was beaten and he was ultimately put to death. Not for himself, but for us. And he rose and ascended and he sits in heaven now interceding, not for himself, because he's holy. He's interceding for us because we're still sinners. This is the Christ that we follow. Christian, you were made not to please your own fleshly desires, but to live for the sake of others. There's some animals that when you look at them, you just know they were designed for a specific purpose. Uh, If you've ever seen a giraffe, either on TV or in person, you know that thing is made to eat out of tall trees. If you've ever seen a dolphin, you know that thing's, it's got streamlined design, it's got that powerful, powerful tail. It's made to swim fast, catch fish. Birds. They've got, they're light, fluffy, they've got feathers, wings. They're made to fly. When you look at yourself, when you, when you get up in the morning, you look at yourself in the mirror, I want you to notice something. You have hands. Look at, look at your hands. They're soft. They're dexterous. They can, they're not talons, right? They're not just for snatching stuff from people. They're made to serve. Not on accident. God didn't make us this way on accident. He made us on purpose with these hands. He gave us a mouth. We can speak. We can communicate. Not on accident, but on purpose. To proclaim his glory. He gave us hearts that care. Empathetic hearts. Because he wants us to move towards other people. Each of us were designed by God to live for others. Brothers and sisters, why should you live on mission? Why should you live on mission? Because God made you to live on mission. He designed you for a purpose, for a relationship with him, and to proclaim and exalt him among all people. That is God's desire and design for each of us. Let me pray.
God, I'm thankful um, that you made us for a purpose. I'm thankful that we are not on accident. We are not space dust. We are not happenstance. Uh, We are not money dropped on the side of the road, Lord. We are on purpose. And you have made us for a great purpose. The greatest purpose. To lift your name high. And to know you, Lord. I pray that we would embrace this. That we would live like you made us to live. And that like uh, an instrument used for its proper purpose, that we would be fulfilled as we do that. That we would find great joy. I pray that both for myself and for all of us, Lord. And I pray now as we lift our voices together, would we use our mouths for what you made them to do, to proclaim your majesty and your glory. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.